To create and keep a customer is crucial to the success of any medical practice. To do so, you need the highest and best use of your staff. Listen in if you want to learn more on how to achieve that. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Mark Halley, founder and CEO of the Halley Consulting Group. Mark has been in the practice management field and consulting service for many, many years. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Larry. Pleasure to be here. How long actually have you been consulting? Oh, 23 years. Wow. But I'm a very young 23 years old. And can you sum it up in one statement what you've learned of the medical industry? Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. Well, actually, on, on one of your presentations, you have a picture and a quote, and I don't understand it. It says, two men and a truck. Can you, can you expand on that? Well, that was a, that's a, 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 one of those 20-minute jokes that I use frequently when, when starting a, a, a speech. But the essence is that we've got to truly understand the real problem before we can step in and fix it. That's what we're after. That's what a consultant is supposed to do. They're supposed to come in, look at the doctor's watch, and tell them what time it is. That's the theory. What are some of the pressures that are really affecting medical practices today as compared to the past and are really cutting into our profitability? Well, there are very few private practice physicians in particular who are not tuned in to reduced reimbursement for the same work that they were doing six months, 12 months, uh, two years ago. Also, private practice physicians are used to seeing, unfortunately, increases on the expense side of their businesses. Staff screaming for additional compensation. Every year they ask for more money, and I say, well, you know, I, I don't get it. My, what I get paid is fixed by the insurance company. They don't give me more every year. They give me less. And so if you want to raise, that means I make less money. They don't care. That's a funny thing, how they have to buy that 3 and a half and $4 a gallon gas to get to work and back, you know? That's true. Additional pressures. So the key for us, obviously, uh, or a key for us in surviving that challenge is to enhance our productivity, and highest and best use staffing is a way to do that. Did you coin that term, or is that an industry term? Well, highest and best use is actually a term from the property management industry, which I was in several years ago. And highest and best use relates to how do we best use a particular property at a particular point in time. Do we put a building on it? Do we hold it to let it appreciate? What do we do with that property? And you've been able to translate into people? Well, we've said, who are our resources, as it were, in the medical practice? And and you touched on it. Obviously, the most critical resources and 75, 80% of our cost structure in a medical practice involves people. And they are the most valuable, critical resource and the most expensive resource. Obviously, the most expensive being the physician himself or herself with the support staff following. Are there physicians that you come across when you go out in this vast country of ours and consult that really are so impressed with themselves that they think that they are the reason for success of their practice? and totally ignore the fact that there are these wonderful, fantastic people up front, behind them, aside them, making them successful? Well, in the old days, perhaps we'd find a few more. These days, most of the physicians that we deal with really understand how critical their support staff members happen to be. And thankfully, uh, we haven't seen as much of that attitude as we used to see years ago. That's good. The salaries that I pay my front staff is just... It's incredible. (laughs) 
I'm not going to go into it, but they make a lot of money. And they have job security, which the rest of the world, you know, no one has jobs. That's right. That's right. We reminded our staff that when the July employment figures came out for the the United States, we were looking at 51,000 people who lost their jobs during the month of July and uh, made us all grateful to have ours. Right. All right. So what can I do in my practice to to practice highest and best staffing? I, I still don't get it. I don't know what to do. Let me share with you. We start with the physician and we say, doctor, are you doing things in your practice, in your daily walk as you enter the practice and start seeing patients and everything that's associated with patients? Are you doing things that could be delegated to somebody else that don't require that degree to accomplish. And we'll have physicians, as we talk with them, look at each other and say, well, sure, I, I hate paperwork. And I say, why are you filling out paperwork? Well, you know, frequently I can't afford to have the staff to fill out the paperwork, so I end up doing it. And we say, now, wait a minute, think of that argument. You mean to tell me that you're spending 15 minutes at 80 or 90 or or $100 an hour filling out a piece of paper because you don't want to spend $12 an hour to have somebody else do it and still have you check it and sign it? And they'll kind of cock their heads and look like they're confused a little bit. And then we say, doctor, the only time you should take your pen out of your pocket is to sign your name. If you've just tuned in to this show, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD, XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Mark Halley of Halley Consulting. And we're trying to figure out really what the highest and best use of our staffing is. Mark, you talk about the doctor that does the paperwork because he doesn't realize that someone being paid $15 an hour is a better use of his time. But what about the doctor that is really a control freak that does not like to let go of these things? That's a harder person to uh, change. Well, that's true. And particularly as we deal with clinical issues, it can be a real challenge. But it's disheartening to their staff members, and it obviously affects their income when they don't delegate everything they possibly can delegate to their clinical assistant or to others. And that, in fact, leads to the second point. Once we have looked at a physician and eliminated everything from his or her daily life that can be delegated, the first person they're going to delegate to usually is their clinical assistant. And then we have to go to the clinical assistant and make sure that the clinical assistant has everything delegated away from him or her that's possible as well. For example, in a well-managed practice, every time a doctor opens the exam room door, the clinical assistant is right there managing that physician's productivity. It's the clinical assistant's job to, number one, make sure the patient is comfortable and well cared for, and number two, to manage the physician's productivity. And smart physicians have learned that over the years. Is that a gentle way of saying, doctor, you're running late, let's move it? It's a gentle way of doing that. It's also an interesting way of saying, as soon as the doctor opens the door, I'm there to receive instruction, to close the visit, and to point that doctor to the next room. And again, in our experience, a physician who's clinical assistant is always at that door, can see another couple of patients a day in the same amount of time he's using today. Now, where is our nurse? Well, our clinical assistant may be on the phone. That's the most common. Why is that clinical assistant on the phone? Well, because they're arguing with an insurance company or trying to get a referral. Again, it doesn't take a clinical assistant necessarily in many practices to do that. Somebody with some reasonable knowledge and instruction and oversight can sit on that phone and argue with the insurance company and so on and so forth. So let's delegate that away from the clinical assistant 
so that we're focused on meeting the service needs and the clinical needs of those patients that we see and then documenting that performance. Mark, you mentioned in your last statement, close the visit. Can you elaborate on that? One of the physicians that I've met recently has built and really taken this to the limit, this highest and best use, and and implemented it very effectively. And he's noted there are really four components to a visit. The first is data gathering. The second is the assessment and the physical exam. Again, he's a primary care provider. The third is diagnosis and developing a treatment plan. And the fourth is closing the visit, making sure the patient's given the instructions and scripts and so on and so forth and understands what to do next. And then, of course, closing the visit may also include moving the patient on for a referral, whatever the case may be. This particular physician said to himself, do I have to do all four of those steps? I don't do that when I'm in the hospital. I depend on clinical people to do that for me. So why don't I work with my own clinical people who can, A, do the data gathering and then reflect to me what they've learned. I can still ask questions and seek additional insight. Secondly, I do the assessment, the physical exam. I do the diagnosis and the treatment plan. That's what I'm trained to do. And then I give certain instructions but allow my clinical assistant to close out the visit and help the patient exit. And this particular physician uses two clinical assistants and five exam rooms to see a large number of patients every day and still walks out on time. Amazing. Is there something written in the literature that kind of supports that to give to physicians who have trouble delegating and or sharing responsibility? Yes. He actually developed a protocol manual that he and his clinical assistants have used, and they can tap into Family Team Care, the website. Because some of the physicians I know never close their visit. Now with electronic medical records, you really have to close that encounter or it kind of stays open forever. Well, it does. And he uses his clinical assistants to close that visit. And they remain in the exam room with him. That's why he needs two of them. But it's a phenomenal experience. And based on the analysis that has been done of his practice, not only has his productivity improved, but patient satisfaction has improved. And his practice of medicine from a clinical quality standpoint has improved. All right. So you've told us how to use highest and best of clinical assistants, the physician. And now let's move to management. There are two types of employees in a medical practice. The first ones we call those who are primary positions. The others are support roles. The primary roles are the physician, the clinical assistant, and actually the receptionist. Every other role, including the manager, is a support role. Although they may interact with the patient and frequently do, the three most critical roles in determining the experience a patient has are those primary roles, including that receptionist. Now, oftentimes, managers will overload their receptionists with too many other duties so that they don't have any time to receive patients, greet them properly, collect proper information, certainly collect co-pays, and then monitor what's going on in the reception room, making sure that patients are comfortable, that they understand if the physician's running late, that they're talking to the patients about how the physician's doing and that he's concerned about being a little bit late, is everybody still okay, so on and so forth. That other primary role is critical, and again, peeling work away from the reception position is part of management's job. Mark, if you walk into an office 
when you are there for a few minutes, does it kind of just hit you and you have a revelation of really what the problem is in this practice and, and then the rest of your day is really just kind of data gathering and window dressing? We enjoy walking in, slipping into a practice and trying to sit in the reception area to find out how long it takes for a receptionist to notice us and acknowledge that we're there and ask if he or she can help. Sometimes I can open my laptop and get a little work done before uh, anybody notices that there's this unusual guy sitting in the middle of the reception area. (laughs) Mark Halley of Halley Consulting Group, thank you very much for talking with me today. My pleasure. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157. To comment or listen to our full library of on-demand podcasts, please visit us at reachmd.com. You can also reach us by phone now with comments or suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. And thanks for listening.